0: virtually everybody said to me just how proud they felt to be in Manchester at that time, even though it was extremely difficult. You know, we had two academics who actually went and had bee tattoos because they just felt so connected to that spirit and resilience of the people in Manchester at that time.
1: Meet Dr Kirsty Fairclough. Kirsty's an internationally renowned academic, a reader in screen studies, and that means that she makes sense of the world we live in through looking at popular culture. She often studies major celebrities like Beyonce, Prince and Dolly Parton's next on a list. She's based at the new state-of-the-art School of Digital Arts, otherwise known as SODA, which is part of Manchester Metropolitan University. You'll find out from Kirsty what popular culture can teach us and why that's important, and you'll also hear what it was like to open a major new education institution for Manchester right in the middle of a pandemic. I'm Lisa Morton from Roland Ransfield PR and this is We Built This City. Kirsty, welcome to We Built This City.
0: Thank you, thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much. So you're a Boltonian and you were born and bred in West Horton and you live there now. So first of all, tell me, what took you from Bolton to Minneapolis?
0: Oh, that's an interesting way to start. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Bolton born and bred. So uh, yeah, West Horton is where I grew up. I lived at in Rottenstor for a few years, lived in Salford, then came back to West not, um, not that long ago, but it was Prince. Prince took me to Minneapolis, as I'm, a lot of people kind of know um, that I've done quite a lot of work on Prince, and uh, I've been a massive fan since I was a teenager, huge fan, and through my kind of academic work, doing celebrity studies and kind of music and sound studies, when he passed away, I just thought, why is no one ever really looked at his work in any kind of critical sense so I find it really surprising given like celebrity studies and kind of you know popular music studies is such a big thing in, in our discipline but Prince had never really been looked at in that way and I just thought you know what if I don't do this somebody else will so I thought I'm going to go for this we'll create a conference and it was a conference that is aimed at academics but also of course at fans And it was a way to kind of recognize and to understand his legacy and to think about how he's had an impact on not just music but on fashion on film on kind of the way we understand gender sexuality race all kinds of different ways that we can look at his work so um we hosted this conference in Salford at the University of Salford where I was an academic for many many years um, in 2017 and we engaged all kinds of partners across the city it was fantastic so we worked with home we worked with Salford City Council you know we were working with the Lowry and we had this huge conference that took place it was two days after the Manchester Arena attack so um, it was an extremely difficult moment for a whole host of reasons and it was very kind of touch and go whether we would be allowed to go ahead but thank goodness we were allowed and it was incredible in the not only it was about Prince and about his legacy, but it was about music in Manchester and recognizing the resilience of the city at that very, very difficult time. Um, so it, it was quite a moment, which has kind of spiraled and kind of snowballed into all kinds of things now, and has taken me to Minneapolis many times. And I've got to know the Prince family and many fans from across the world and academics. Got a whole kind of academic community now, and me and um, one of guests that I know you've had on the podcast yeah. before, Karen Gabay went to Minneapolis together. Yeah, we've had a really amazing journey. Th- th- Thanks to Prince.
1: Wow. And you're wearing a purple sweater now as we speak. I
0: just noticed that, yeah. It wasn't <laughs> deliberate. Andy's behind me there on that, um, on that picture. Yes, Obviously, you can't see that the listeners.
1: <laughs> and so yeah a couple of things there then so that must have been incredibly poignant to hold that conference two days after the arena attack. Did that change things? Or did it give it more kind of you know gravity in a way?
0: Oh absolutely and we had people from all over the world so we had academics and fans from New Zealand, from Australia, from the States, from um, a number of European countries and I think virtually everybody said to me, and the other organizer, Mike Eileen, who's from Middle Tennessee State University, who's been a brilliant kind of academic partner of mine, just how um, proud they felt to be in Manchester at that time, even though it was extremely difficult. You know, we had two academics, uh, sorry an academic and her daughter who actually went and had bee tattoos wow when they were at, yeah, on, before, lining up day, yeah, yeah the day before they left because they just felt so kind of connected to that spirit and resilience of the people in manchester at that time but it was v- extremely difficult because we were you know the university quite rightly and were saying this can't go ahead we can't have an event of this size at this time because it's so you know we didn't quite know what had happened everything was in chaos as you know but in the end we were you know given the go ahead but it was yeah probably the most difficult moment of my academic career for sure
1: yeah, absolutely I'm absolutely sure And we can all remember those few days and weeks after the attack so there's a couple of bees buzzing around where Tennessee a couple of Manchester bees uh, yeah
0: absolutely yeah
1: yeah <laughs> and Karen said to me as well that when she came on the podcast though so you're close to Prince's family now aren't you how did they feel about this massive interest just from Manchester about Prince and his life and his work?
0: Yeah, there was a kind of interesting reaction. It's like, why is why are people in Manchester doing this? <laughs> what has this got to do with, you know, Manchester? It should be about someone in Minneapolis doing it. But what we did was work with the University of Minnesota and we made sure that we connected with academics there and that, the, you know, the Prince family were on board with what we were doing and understood that this is about academic scrutiny and about critical analysis, but it's also about celebration. And I think that's what I've kind of done with a lot of my conferences. They've been absolutely academically rigorous, but they've also had a dimension that's open to the public to understand what we do because sometimes it's kind of well, why do you study famous people or why do you study something popular? What's the relevance of that? And so that when you can open up kind of debate in in the in those ways by inviting people into academic conferences, it can kind of shine a light in different ways so that the you know people can understand you know what it is that we do and why we do it because you know as much as I'm a fan of Prince we also need to understand uh, you know and interrogate what Mm. has worked in his career and what didn't work and you know all the kind of different facets of it really.
1: Absolutely that's so interesting and so just going back to you as a young girl in Bolton with your poster of Prince on your bedroom wall what was it about him that inspired you so much?
0: You know what I think it was one I thought he was absolutely gorgeous yeah (laughs) You know, he was five foot two and I'm five foot. I thought, oh, perfect man for me. I was literally obsessed. I just loved the fashion. and Of course, I loved the music. I was the only person in my entire friend circle who liked Prince so I was definitely the anomaly but uh, I would just you know at any opportunity I'd be hanging outside uh, X Records in Bolton before they opened on a Saturday to go and um, chat to the, the guy who ran it he was a Prince fan at the time I can't even remember his name actually but he used to kind of buy his records or you know and listen to his music constantly and yeah I was just obsessed in every way it was everything about him the whole package
1: Well, you know, I can relate to that because when I was at first year at sixth form, we used to have Prince dinner parties, which consisted of a baked potato with either cheese or tuna on it and a load of red wine. And you used to watch Purple Rain, like literally all the time. So there's a big group of us at Eccles College who were obsessed with Prince. I was five foot ten, though, so it's never going to work for me. (laughs) (laughs) And I absolutely loved the fact that the conference about Prince was called Purple Rain, R-E-I-G-N. And it seems so fitting that like the rain element of being in Manchester, so it's kind of was almost meant yeah. to be. <laughs>
0: exactly, absolutely. So there was that one, then there was, uh, I was a consultant to the Prince from Minneapolis conference, which happened in uh, Minneapolis itself, and then I've been involved in a whole host of other ones uh, in New York, and then uh, we held... Well, we should have held it in Minneapolis last year. We had told it online, which was the follow-up to the Purple Rain uh, conference. But yeah, I've got um, always got loads of ideas about who we need to look at next and Dolly Parton's
1: definitely on my list. Amazing. I was going to ask you about that, really. So why Dolly Parton?
0: I just think she's such an interesting, uh, well, interesting human being, interesting artist who's often underrated in, in um, many respects as a songwriter. I mean, her songwriting prowess is absolutely incredible as a feminist icon in many respects you you know also as a kind of political figure what she did with the investment into the vaccine she's really um a fascinating character and also in terms of transmedia how she has managed to traverse so many different mediums so the films the music there's so many different ways in which we can we can look at Dolly and she does seem to never offend anyone she always seems to be extremely popular in so many different areas by so many different people who have different political allegiances if you think you know, particularly in the States, being a gay icon as well, I think she's a fascinating fascinating character
1: That documentary was about a year ago wasn't it I mean that was an eye opener in terms yeah. of the music writing prowess as you say, I mean just yeah. absolutely incredible and in ahead of her time mm. but so many challenges that she had to come through so early on around yeah, her absolutely. appearance and the way that she had to show up Let's go back to your childhood in Bolton then. What was it like growing up in Bolton and what impact did your childhood have on you?
0: Well, my dad was a teacher. So there was a kind of very heavy focus on academic excellence and my response to that was to get basically two GCSEs and not to take a blind bit of notice of him actually so I was very rebellious when I was a teenager really only interested in drama and acting so I was writing plays when I was a kid making the whole street you know acting them and I'd direct them so yeah I was very um dramatic and theatrical I was always interested in acting 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 or or being a pop star as many of us were you know <laughs> Um, But my, yeah, my father was absolutely, you know, it was all about academic excellence, which I absolutely ignored. So things were tricky. I think when I was uh, doing, you know, the GCSEs in school, I was just not, not engaged at all, much to my father's disappointment. So I got English and drama. And then somehow I ended up getting a PhD, you know, I think it's just pure, utter determination to prove everybody wrong. So, um, yeah, it was quite a, an academic journey. But best thing I ever did is to con- to start an academic career rather than going down the kind of theatrical um, drama route, which I did think about quite seriously for a period of time I you know applied to go to drama school and ended up going to a Nottingham Trent University for two weeks and came um, Mm. changed my mind and decided I wanted to be back home and then ended up going to Salford Uni and uh, doing a performance and uh, media degree and absolutely loved
1: it. So how did your dad feel about that when you got your PhD after having just got the two GCs? Yeah. He
0: was like, okay, you can stop yeah. now. You've you definitely proved yourself now.
1: <laughs> so do you think about that journey that was finding something that you absolutely loved in terms of the drama and theatrical studies, and then finding the academic, the match, that's just been like the, almost like the sweet spot for you, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was strange really. Cause I just, when I got to Salford University, I discovered the kind of, you know, film studies, critical analysis. and I thought, wow, I'm actually, this is actually much more interesting to me than actually performing. So that was the moment where everything shifted. And then uh, once I graduated, I remember I was in Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Festival because I used to go up there with a a show for the whole month of Edinburgh. And I got a phone call from someone who used to teach me at Salford who said, do you want to do a bit of teaching yourself? So I'd gone from graduating in the summer of 98 back to basically teaching at Salford that October. So it was a real baptism of fighter. And then I did my master's, did my PhD, worked in the FE sector for a number of years, which I absolutely loved. So yeah, I did a lot of, got a lot of teaching experience quite young. Mm. So um, absolutely loved it.
1: So you started lecturing what, when you were around 21? Yeah. Oh, that's early. How did your students respond to that you being so young I mean literally a year older than perhaps they were
0: yeah it was definitely an interesting moment because there was lots of oh hang on weren't you just in the year below <laughs> yeah, exactly. so yeah there was a, there was a bit of that but I think um, I think I kind of made sure I was quite tough because I felt like I had to you know I had to kind of assert some sense of uh authority and uh, certainly when I was in the FE sector it was difficult but I just I love teaching I, I guess it's a, co- a form of performance for me I felt like I had that captive audience and you know um, and I was obsessed with film and music so for me it was just like like you said the sweet spot.
1: Mm. What qualities did you need to have it to be a great teacher and to inspire people I mean at 21 you're still learning stuff yourself aren't you just literally so early on in our careers at that point so what got you through
0: I don't know it's it's always more complex isn't it but I guess just passion for my subject because I absolutely loved what I was teaching you know that comes through it when you're in that lecture space so were difficult moments of course I was very young but it just seemed to me that I took to it really really well and I just really flew I think once I started teaching
1: and like you say though that kind of preparation that you'd had from loving drama and and being on the stage and that kind of stuff probably giving the confidence to have that platform early on
0: yeah I think so
1: what was Salford like then? Because, I mean, Salford University, my first job was on Salford Crescent, actually, after I graduated from uni in a one-man band PR company. But from being 15, we were always, like, going to all the gigs, sneaking in underage and stuff. I mean, they had a really vibrant music scene, didn't it, the whole time at the university?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I mean, who hadn't played at Maxwell Hall? It was incredible. Salford University back then, it was 95 when I started. It was the old Adelphi building, which is still, you know, it's just an incredible space. It was just so energetic, so kind of vibrant. There was just such a sense of community about it. And there were some major talents there. You know, that's where Peter Kay was, you know, and the comedy course had just started, which was quite new. That, well, it was very new at that time, a few years later, actually. So, yeah, the whole place was just absolutely full of kind of really interesting creative people the building was falling apart but it had a kind of sense there was people always say oh it's like kids from fame here they could (laughs) walk down the corridor there'd be brass bands there'd be people rehearsing plays it was just very very vibrant Uh, yeah I loved every moment of my uh, degree at at Salford it was a really special special place and still is and I worked there for 15 years
1: Mm -hmm. after that and who was part of that cohort at the time though as you say the people there's some really kind of well-known people now that were there at the same time as you
0: yeah, so Peter was there, there's um, the um, magician, uh, Barrington Powell, who's done amazing work, Carl Lucas was there at the time, Chris Bisson a couple of, a few years later. Yeah, there's some really, uh, Jason Manford, of course, some really interesting, um, interesting people who were there and some, yeah, major talents, absolutely.
1: So you worked at the University of Salford for a long time, you said, you know, and it's been kind of a really important part of your life. And then that must have been a big step then to move over to MMU, which you've recently opened a, a new £35 million building, School of Digital Arts. So that's created a whole new legacy for Manchester, isn't it? So can you tell me about your role there and what the school's going to do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I moved to Manchester in lockdown July of 2020. It was a real uh, interesting time to be working in a new environment. I'd heard about the um, SODA project or the School of Digital Arts project for a while and I'd wanted to be involved. So it was really the right time. I'd moved up to Associate Dean for Research and Innovation at Salford. So I'd done a a lot during my 15 years there and I thought this is, you know, the right time to move. And I think the, the School of Digital Arts project One, it's just been an absolute privilege to be able to set up a new school, particularly in this context as well. It's been incredibly difficult, but also incredibly rewarding. It's an amazing team of people who are hugely committed to what the Soda Project is. As you said, it's a £35 million investment from Greater Manchester Combined Authority, which is looking at the digital skills pipeline and how to uh, support young people in the region, obviously, and beyond in terms of the kinds of jobs that they might go into that are in the digital sector so we do teach from filmmaking and animation to photography to games art games design we do a lot of immersive technology so ar vr so it's really uh, and of course digital art it's moving into some really interesting spaces the kind of curriculum that we teach and what's i think for me is really special about it is that it's that industry connectivity straight from the moment that the students walk into into the soda building which is only just opened and it looks fantastic it's got this amazing facade that I don't know if you've seen it Lisa but it's um a huge digital digital screen where we've had the um students work shown on it already it's been really it's beautiful and and really quite um quite something for the the landscape of the city and how it looks it's it's really gorgeous so yeah it's been um it's been an immense privilege to be involved in setting up Soda and now we're up and running so um, yeah it's not been without its challenges obviously in the global pandemic but it's been um, it's been great and the students that we've got uh, have started with us are just wonderful we really uh, yeah we've got a great group of people.
1: This is your first cohort then so what kind of size have you got and and have you got students from all around the country?
0: We have a um, lot of students actually we've done in terms of our recruitment we exceeded um, what we kind of expected particularly in the filmmaking arena and i think that because we're part of manchester school of art and that's got a real legacy of uh, you know the filmmaking program there we also have some amazing support from oscar-winning filmmaker danny boyle Nicola Schindler, there's a fantastic tv producer jen nikiru who is a filmmaker and visual artist who just worked with beyonce on uh, beyonce's black is king so we've got some amazing support so i think that kind of that whole ripple effect of, of that as well as you know what we have to offer in terms of the legacy of Manchester School of Art makes it quite a unique space and uh, yeah we're growing already you know the, the kind of applications we've had for next year mm. are just um, much more than we expected so so good, it's fantastic
1: and setting a legacy as you say you know setting up a, a new institution educational institution in the middle of a pandemic because mm. you presumably started it and knew you're going to do it before yeah Looking back now I mean when you kind of found out that we we're going to go into a, a whole lockdown situation what do you think do you think what should have stayed or I mean, were you overwhelmed by that and what you how did you deal with it?
0: yeah well for me I just thought right let's just let's do this let's just get the soda word out there so I'd started in the July 2020 and I was just kind of making sure that we got the the kind of word out about soda got involved in a kind of you know profile raising opportunity so we worked with Creative England and the Creative Coalition there I worked with Digital City Festival so and kind of my connections across the the city region you know just making sure that the the soda word got out that we were opening and that we were on track so I found it a great challenge but I really like it I like a good challenge and I like um sticking with something and getting getting my teeth stuck
1: into it so to speak and so looking forward now it's two soda what what impact do you think that's going to have on Manchester in terms of the talent that it's going to bring into the city and hopefully retain
0: yeah well I think um we're already proving that it, you know it's having that it, that effect and um, just by the numbers just by the kind of you know the commitment that the students have to to Manchester and to what soda um, is and what it means I think it's already building that community and I think it's also about the engagement with business and that we're getting so many fantastic connections and opportunities coming to us and that's just says a lot about already about the kind of you know the impact that we're having so what we want to of course you know continue to do is to make sure that we're supporting young people and giving them the opportunities to work you know with industry and to be able to develop their skill set so that they're ready to go into a whole host of in, in, uh, industries around kind of creative digital and tech. Because
1: mm. well, that's one of the things that's come out of the pandemic hasn't it and throughout the the pandemic and the issues surrounding that is the fact that the future skills for young people that are often a lot of those skills just aren't present in terms of the skills that we'll need for the future and young people don't have access to those opportunities. So something like Soda, I suppose, in a way is, it will feel more accessible in terms of just a traditional educational institution.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we have um, throughout the whole of the Soda offer, no matter what course you're on, whether you're on a foundation degree or whether you're on a master's, we have what's something called the collab, So it's a collaborative lab. So from the moment that the students walk through the door, they have opportunities to work with industry and cultural industries and charities. So for example, we're working with the Huck Group, we're working with the Pankhurst Centre, so that students from any programme get to have the opportunity to work with industry or a cultural organization or a charity from the moment they start so that they're understanding what it means to build that skill set so that they can say yeah you know I didn't wait till my third year to start having work experience I started the moment I walked into Soda and I think that's what's really special about it so that they're building that skill set up from the moment they start so that they are then being able to move into industry or whatever it may be, or a freelance portfolio career, as soon as they they graduate,
1: or even during the time that they're studying, they've got that opportunity, haven't they? So the yeah. kind of the, the learning as as they go. I mean, it's similar to the yeah. UA92 model. That absolutely, I and mean, then that segues nicely into you're invited to be an ambassador for our year 2022 which is working with the new leader Bev Craig and CEO City Council Joanne Roney around a campaign which puts young people at the very front of what we do as a city going forward now and what we're asking for is the same thing we want businesses and institutions around the city to come together and support those young people so what was it about our year that really appealed to you in terms of getting involved? Mm.
0: I think it's because It's been such an incredibly difficult time for young people. I've seen that from my own experience, having a a young boy to friends and their children to the young people we're teaching and the difficulties that they're experiencing, particularly, you know, in terms of mental health or because of the effects of the pandemic. I just felt like I was in a position to be able to find some ways of supporting. I think it's just very, very important that we develop and nurture a talent and our young people in our city region. I think sometimes there can be kind of all sorts of assumptions made about young people. And I think sometimes they just need to be listened to. Mm. And very given that, so. you know, support to be able to thrive. And, you know, that's what I want to, why I'm interested in being a part of this campaign. It's about allowing young people to thrive and have a space to be able to to develop their, their skills and talent.
1: And that's one thing that came out of that wide piece of engagement with schools and youth groups which was they didn't feel listened to and they didn't feel that many of our spaces in the city were even accessible to them that they weren't a part of these and and in a lot of cases a lot of young people don't even come and spend any time in the, in the city centre, so they don't think it's a place for them. So Exactly. That's so important. And Obviously, it'd be amazing over the next 12 months, restrictions permitting that we can get some of those young people around the spaces and they can be future students, hopefully, of Soda.
0: Absolutely.
1: That would be a great result, wouldn't it? And, so, and you led on some research recently into the creative and tech industries that are based in Manchester. So tell me about that and where would you say Manchester stands internationally in that respect?
0: Ah, Yeah, the Prolific North work that we did. So that was the Global Reach Report. That was one of the first pieces of research that I led on when I started at Soda. So that was a a commission piece of research that was looking at companies within the North, it was quite broad, that had that global reach. So they had headquarters overseas and as well as in the the North region generally. And it's actually, it's really impressive in terms of the, the reach that we do have. And that, you know, there is a, that sense of us being global in terms of the export of what skills and talent that we have and how that is proliferates all over the world and that was a yeah, really exciting piece to be involved in
1: and it's interesting wasn't it? not long ago i think just before christmas there was an la video and gaming business that announced that it's opening a, a manchester base in 2022 and be creating more than a thousand jobs in the next five years which is fantastic news for the region so why do you think Manchester is such a, a hotbed and creates such a draw for international businesses to come here and, and you know, access our talent?
0: Mm, well, I think it's very easy to collaborate here. I've had that said to me so many times when I've worked with people in London or in the States, that sense of, oh, you can get things done. People just want to work together. There's a real sense that, I mean, not obviously not all the time, but, you know, generally there's a real spirit of collaboration, which I think is really quite... I'm sure you've heard it many times, Lisa, quite unique, actually. And I think there is something about, you know, the way that we do things, that people are open, people are open to ideas, and you just getting stuck in and getting things done.
1: Mm. And more so, I think, in the last couple of years than ever. I mean, we've, we've always been known for that. But the way that, you know, we have this whole analogy of, you know, the hive and the worker bees, I've, I've never experienced anything. Well, actually, I set the business up just after the IRA bomb. A month after, then the next few years after that were similar. And again, I suppose after the arena attack, when we have moments of crisis as a, as a city or city region, the strength, you know, that the power in, in people coming together is actually an incredible, uh, an incredible energy, isn't it, to be part of?
0: Oh, honestly, when I talk about it, it gives me chills mm. because it is, it is true, mm. and it's very visible, and it is very real. And that's what I think I experienced profoundly when we had all of those people from all over the world who were in Manchester for the event we were hosting and the, the sense that they were so surprised by the way the people in the city and beyond in the region reacted you know and people did come together and want to help each other and want to reach out and support each other and I think that that's you know is very very special to to Manchester and Greater Manchester generally
1: yeah there's such a sense of, of real kindness and yeah we've had the same comments from businesses here outside of, of Manchester a lot of London businesses want to come to us to help us try and really engage them with the network and get them into the dna of the city because i've always said to our london clients or international clients Manchester's is an amazing place and you're going to want to come and invest here but you can't come and up on the train once a month kiss a few babies and get back down south you know you've oh, got no. to be part of the fabric and the, the ones that succeed are the ones that genuinely do that not just out of the fact that they they have to be seen to do it but because they really fall in love with the city
0: yeah absolutely and uh Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's what's kept me here for all of these years. I just have no desire to move to any other city. I just, it's absolutely, I adore Manchester so much. And yeah, absolutely.
1: We talk about relationships and how important they are at Roland Dransfield and the importance of nurturing those. I was taught by an editor when I first started my job in PR be really nice to the junior reporters the fact is they're going to be the editor at some point and you're going yep. to be able to get your story into them if you've not really treated them with respects and and i tell our team that what would you say is important to building those relationships because obviously you say you know you've had a very successful career you must have people in your life now professionally and personally that you've kind of gone on that whole journey with
0: yeah absolutely i mean i've worked with for example the old corner house and home for you know 20 plus years and I've loved working with them and still do and it's that you know it's about nurturing those connections keeping it real having integrity going the extra mile and just knowing that people would be there for me just as I'd be there for them because I've had very long standing relationships with people professionally and you know you can reach out if you need anything and I think that's that's the thing isn't it you just kind of I don't know, keeping it real is the thing. I think that's the way I tend to kind of operate, just to, to support people. And I'd and I, I, you know, i know that they'd support me back.
1: So you, know, you know that's one of our values then.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> but it is so true, isn't it? I mean, I think the people who seem to, that I know have sustained happy and successful careers are the ones that have kept it real and they've never got bigger than themselves no matter how successful they become they're still happy to give a hand up to people and help them along with their careers or the things that they need to get out of life.
0: Yeah people always say to me oh it's very Manchester that it's a very Manchester thing Mm. and maybe it is yeah maybe that's a that's one of the reasons that many people kind of want to stay here.
1: Definitely and is there anybody that you'd want to kind of note that had has been really instrumental whether that's you know within your career or within your personal life that's really been a rock for you and helped you maybe in challenging times
0: yeah it was lots of people actually one of my closest um friends and lecturers who sadly passed away only a few months ago Denise Ferdinand who anyone who went to Salford University in the performing arts department would know she and it was an unbelievable response to just kind of outpouring of kind of love and respect when she passed and we had a, a fantastic kind of memorial of her life at the Contact Theatre only just a few months ago. Just an incredible person, an incredible teacher, someone who would support you in ways that went far beyond any kind of lecturer student relationship. We we remained friends and colleagues for many, many years later. So yeah, anyone who went to Salford University, you know, from the kind of early nineties would know Denise Vernon if they were
1: had anything to do with the arts. Yeah, it's quite interesting. A lot of people on the podcast kind of refer back to somebody who was instrumental in their education as well. That mm. you know, you all need that one person sometimes that can really inspire you and, and you know give you that strength to kind of to carry on in your career when you, you're yeah. finding stuff difficult. Yeah, yeah I absolutely. mean, there was incredible amount of love for Denise, wasn't there? When when yeah. that happened, it was it was very very sad. And just going back to values, then who's impacted you most other than Prince in your life growing up was it your family or you know who's really been there that you feel like you've been influenced by?
0: Definitely uh, my family because it was that kind of mix of me wanting to be a kind of you know performer and actor but also having that kind of academic you must achieve thing which you know at the time I thought was you know an absolute nightmare and didn't do me any good but actually it's still been (laughs) a little turned all right in the end. Yeah (laughs) it really did and that just kind of the work ethic you know that sort of sense of just you just graft you just mm. do what you do and you know and if you're passionate about something and you work you put everything into it within reason of course when you all need balance you know you can achieve great things so for me that was that kind of yeah that work ethic for my family was definitely something that was instilled into me really really young so yeah I've always you know when I was a teenager I had several jobs working from when I was 14 and when I was part-time teaching, I had a job at Waterstones in on Deansgate, which I absolutely loved. Oh, it was great. the greatest part-time job I've ever had. <laughs> did you get free and books? I, it, we did get free, oh but only the kind of proofs um, <laughs> at the time. But it was such an amazing place. It yeah. was so, I worked with such in, incredible people at, at that place. You know, doing three jobs there and t- doing my master's as well. It was just kind of, you just keep going to, you know, I'm very kind of, I guess, quite determined. If I've got a goal in mind, it's like nothing will stop me from achieving it <laughs> so that can be a good and a bad thing I think
1: I think that being industrious though which is a you know seems to be that Manchester trait doesn't it you know I say to my kids that the busier you are the more people you're meeting the more opportunities to so just get stuck in you know listen see what's going on hustle and yeah. I think, you know, I was like, you had a few, you had quite a few jobs. And uh, I was, when I worked in a bar, it's actually Gander's Go South, which is in the um, oh, Boston Arcade. because I remember of, it the well. First PR. So I used to walk from Salford Crescent, where my office was, yep. into town and go and work there two nights a week. But I was just earwigging over the bar the whole time just listening to the conversations <laughs> yeah. ago, and going, I learned so much and I made yeah. contacts there that, you know, stood me in good stead and, and people that I still know now, actually.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I did. Um, that's it, isn't it? You just got to, you know, be open and I think that's the thing. You know, you can have some really interesting ideas in, in Manchester. You can have a great idea and you'll find somebody who will help you run with it in some way, shape or form and that's what's really, I've always found so exciting that you can, really can get things done
1: always and also yeah. I think you can ask can't you and I say to the, our team as well that you can always ask in Manchester but always make sure that you've sure. either done more for that person than the ask is or have something to exchange you know so you've always a- yeah. adding, kind of put more in than you take out but On a regular basis, now I get asked, can you just help with this? What about that? Always something great comes of that when you start to Mm -hmm. kind of put those people together. And I think I love the fact that as a city, we don't mind asking for help. And I think that's, once you stop asking for help, you know, you stop turning the wheels, don't you?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. And just in recent weeks, which is very exciting, you've been appointed by Andy Burnham and the Greater Manchester Combined Authority to the inaugural board of the Greater Manchester Music Commission. That was part of Andy's manifesto in 2021. So that's another groundbreaker for Manchester. So can you just tell me more about that and what your role's going to be?
0: Yeah absolutely so I'm really thrilled to be a part of this because I'm also chair of Manchester Jazz Festival so I oversee the festival and I'm particularly interested in it supporting its talent development and the Greater Manchester Music Commission one of its roles will be to identify and develop talent and audiences within the kind of Great Manchester Music Ecology and also thinking about uh, how we support its prominence and reputation nationally and internationally as well so it's a fantastic group of people. We're going to be having our first meeting in the next couple of weeks. So I'm absolutely thrilled to be involved. And I just can't wait to get started because there is some amazing musical talent in mm-hmm. Manchester. And it's about you know, developing opportunities, isn't it? And making, yeah, making those um, spaces and mo- moments available to musicians, young musicians in particular that I'm interested in.
1: It's really important because I think Manchester can be very easily pigeonholed concert in terms of what came out of City in the Manchester era. And it it kind of all stopped with the um, Hacienda and the Happy Mondays. And yet there's so much talent, as you say. And in a way, the last two years has been difficult for a lot of that talent to kind of to emerge because the city's full of music venues, which, you know, that young talent hasn't necessarily had that platform to play. Mm. What do you hope to see come out of this? So, you know, looking back on what you can do with this, commission in the next couple of years what would you like to see
0: yeah well I would like to you know see more opportunities more spaces opening up more digital spaces as well if we think about what GM Stream did so Mm. uh, during the pandemic which was fantastic (sighs) it's how we can kind of maximize those opportunities and you know for just thinking back to Manchester Jazz you know whether Manchester's longest-running music festival. It should have been our 25th anniversary last year, so we had every plan possible, you know, for the amazing celebration in the city because we're normally visible across a whole range of venues as well as either Tunnel Square or St Anne's Square. And we had to pivot very quickly to an online festival, and we worked with uh, GM Stream to provide that opportunity for people to still be able to perform. And we know the difficulties that a lot of those musicians went through and are still going through, it is very difficult about, you know, particularly in terms of how people are some reluctant to go back to gigs and how we can provide as many opportunities as possible. So we're thinking about, you know, digital spaces and what that might mean. So, you know, watch this space, you know, we might have a Manchester metaverse before we know it, who knows? (laughs) Immersive concerts.
1: (laughs) I don't doubt it for a second. Which would you say in terms of when we can go and see gigs, which for you been some really favorite venues to have gone to enjoy gigs at
0: oh gosh there's so many I absolutely still absolutely love the Apollo you know it's just yeah I mean I saw Prince there and just I love that space I love Matt and Fred's yeah yeah it's a a great little space so yeah I mean there's so many isn't there you know we've got we're spot of choice and I just hope that that continues and continues to thrive and grow
1: Martin Fred's great. My uncle, that's him, he, he just passed very recently. He was a jazz musician. Um, so we grew up in a house of, of music, really. So we, from a very early age, I grew up listening to jazz music on a, a little record play that my dad had given me and all the old Beatles albums. And, and so it's 25 years, so was that 1996 of the first... Because that was a year we um, I set the business up. I didn't know that. Yeah. Hopefully that'll be in, live this year, will it? Abs- it. Will
0: absolutely. I mean, we did do at Freight Island. We had a sorry. Uh, it was twenty twenty when we should have had our anniversary. We did also did a event at um, Freight Island last year as well, which was fantastic. Just to just to see live music again was just oh, it was absolutely joyous. But um, what I think what's interesting about you know what you were saying about Manchester music, and we often often have a, a particular view of, of what that might be and how that is fantastic for tourism and for all kinds of things don't get me wrong at all but you know there's a manchester jazz story that's never really been told you know there's all kinds of different musical genres that might not that are there and are thriving but just might not have had the spotlight shot on them so i'm really passionate about the manchester a jazz festival generally and also particularly about our talent development projects that we have and we've had running for a number of years now to really support young jazz musicians coming through we we pair them with a mentor and we kind of give them a platform to be able to you know nurture the talent and perform.
1: That's amazing so I think there's probably not many people are aware of that unless you're a jazz um, Mm -hmm. fan and jazz has been seen by a lot of young people and it was when I was growing up it was it was unfashionable it wasn't mm, you know everybody mm. wanted to get into a different type of music but I was at Ronnie Scott's recently just before Christmas yeah. not been before my god it blew me oh, away it's amazing isn't it? Unbe- unbelievable yeah. um, and so yeah so that's fantastic then to engage young people mm. um, in such a great genre of music
0: yeah we have Soundcheck and Hothouse which are our two talent development streams so that's a very very important part of what Manchester Jazz Festival is is all about and there's a perception of jazz, absolutely, but it's so much more than that and it's so it's proliferated into and taken in all kinds of other genres as well now and it's really, it's a kind of multifaceted thing in, it, of its, own right, in its own right and what we do is showcase all aspects of jazz and all different types of jazz music and what, what it can be and what it is and where it's going and how it's evolving.
1: That sounds great. So I'm going to get more involved in that for sure. And just mentioning again, Stream GM, I mean, that was a lifesaver, wasn't it? One incredible, I hate the word, but pivot. That was, we never imagined that we'd be watching such incredible music in our kitchens.
0: Oh God. And it just, it was, you know, it just helped a lot of people, I think in a, really did quite profoundly you know it really brought people together didn't it and you know it was also for many of us the nostalgia factor but it was really yeah it was really something special so yeah well done yeah, it was to, wonderful to and the... together
1: in one voice that um oh, yeah. that Rose Marley did on the doorstep I mean that was yeah
0: Rose is great yeah.
1: unbelievable my daughter actually managed to get on that she sang Tom Walker Oh, on that wow. and she got on it and I can't I'll never forget just actually watching that then <laughs> she came on singing in the garden Wow, it was pretty amazing yeah Rose did an incredible job on that yeah and so, they
0: showcased so much didn't they you know the Camerata yeah. did stuff as oh, well amazing. it was just yeah it was so great that it wasn't just about going back to the 90s nostalgia moment there was a all kinds of music showcased and Manchester Jazz was part of that
1: that was wonderful and we talk about legacy at Roland Dransfield and you've obviously looked into the legacy of so many pop culture icons has working in that area made you conscious of your own oh that's an interesting one
0: um I guess so I just want to keep doing interesting work and to try and you know support young people in in Manchester because the arts absolutely changed my life and for me it's just very special to be involved in artistic and creative endeavours so for me I just want to be I guess known for for helping people engage with that
1: Mm, that's a wonderful legacy to leave for sure (music) quick fire then Kirsty. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> right here we go so what would you say is Manchester's best pop culture export oh pe- best pop culture export can mm. I say Bet Lynch <laughs> you can that's <laughs> a great answer
0: I love a matriarch
1: <laughs> <laughs> who would you say are the most influential Manchester creators for you Ooh gosh there's so many but you know
0: well we've got to say Tony I think haven't we mm. I, I, yeah Without Tony Wilson, I think, you know, the city would be a very different place.
1: Very true. What do you order at the Chippy? Oh, well, chips and gravy. Lots of gravy. <laughs> Is it a barm or a muffin? It's a barm. Muffin? Is it? Yeah, it's a complete divide depending where you are around. It's Let's a balm see it. it's in Bolton, a I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> what are your favourite places to soak up Greater Manchester culture now and then back in the day?
0: Yeah, well, for me, it was usually, it started my, and back in the day, Saturday morning at X Records, then we'd go to uh, Afflex and just hang around all day. Don't, yeah, just hang around all day is what, <laughs> 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 every weekend. And um, now, I mean, home for me is, yeah, yeah, I just absolutely love the place. It's so welcoming and it's been a great friend to me that over the years and when it was the corner house and, and you know, now it's home obviously it's been home for a number of years but yeah it's um yeah a special place for me
1: it's such an incredible place and Richard Lee said that now he's going part time that he's going to be spending a lot more time there yeah it, and it is it's amazing you can spend days in there but when the corner house closed oh my god i was devastated i mean I was. everybody was we thought we were, what it was the end of an era but then it was i mean it's just on steroids now isn't it what in terms of the offer at home
0: yeah i mean I was quite close to what was happening and I was still kind of, oh, I was, be- I was bereft because it was just like, you just go to the Corner house bar and you just end yeah. up, some of your friends would be there. Oh, you just talk to so people. Good. It's like, so friend- yeah. friendly and welcoming yeah. and I thought, I don't know how this is going to work and then... Everyone's like, oh, what a strange name. And oh, how, how you know, how's that going to work? And yeah, they've never looked back. It's just been a huge, huge success. So yeah, um, it'll be a great loss losing Jason to the BFI. But um, yeah, I know that it'll, it'll continue to th- th- thrive, no doubt. And Dave is just fantastic. I mean, what he does for, you know, as you know, for culture in Manchester is absolutely unparalleled. He's just, yeah, he's been a great support to me as well over the years. So, yeah, Dave's um, definitely one to get
1: on the podcast. I'd need to do that. And one of my memories of The Corner House, towards the end of its existence, I'd been to see a film called The Selfish Giant, um, which was absolutely incredible. And my mum had been to see it. She said, there's a lot of swearing in it. My son was about 14 at the time, I think. She said, but take him. And it blew me away. And I went twice again. And the last time that I went, I I kind of nipped off in the afternoon. It was the last showing, and I, and I just basically said to the office, "I'm going for a meeting." And I went to a showing in the afternoon and there's only me and about three people in. And I looked to my right, and Sir Richard Lees was sitting. it oh. <laughs> was me, somebody else, and Sir Richard Lees. And he said to yeah. me, I've been here to see it four times too. He said, I've bunked off this afternoon too to watch it. Oh,
0: that's brilliant. I used to just <laughs> love doing that. You know, afternoons <laughs> at the corner, especially in that tiny little cinema that was like your living room. It was a and... tiny one. It had gone to oh. the little cinema, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was a great yeah. place, a great place. Absolutely. And lastly, who from, who from pop culture most sums up Manchester for you?
0: Oh gosh, I don't know about it from pop culture, but from our history, mm. Emmeline Pankhurst, I mean, yeah. it's an obvious one, but yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I love the statue of her in St. Peter's Square. Yeah, a I love that people overdue. put things, absolutely. And We went to the unveiling yeah. yeah, and it was the day of our Christmas do, whenever it was a couple of years ago, and it was that was so moving, that event actually. Yeah. And I love incredible. how people take different things to her, like they, they put a mask or they'll take her some flowers or... Yeah, you know it's not just a, a, a statue that's not doesn't interact with the city, so people real love her for that statue. Yeah, um, agree more. Wonderful. So, Kirsty, thanks so much for joining me on We Built This City, and it's been amazing to get to grips with even a tiny part of your story and the legacy that you're creating for Greater Manchester. And you create this huge connection between Manchester and the rest of the world by the work you're doing. And you've made print and adopted monk. So, Aww. thank you so much.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Lisa. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you.
1: And good luck with Soda and the work on the, uh, the Music Commission. That's another legacy right there. So, thank you. Thank you. Dr. Kirsty Fairclough built this city by connecting Manchester and Minneapolis, by bringing purple rain to the rainy city, and by sending a couple of Manchester bees back to Tennessee. On the next episode of We Built the City, you'll hear from Dr. Marilyn Comrie, OBE. She's an award-winning social entrepreneur and green tech innovator. That episode will be available on January the 27th. And right at the start of this episode, Kirsty mentioned fellow Prince fan Karen Gibay because they went to Minneapolis together. To listen to Karen's episode, then she is Mank 35 on We Built the City. If you want to find out more about how Roland Dransfield can help you drive your values and create relationships that build your business success, then head over to rdpr.co.uk. Or you can find us on Instagram at Roland Dransfield or Twitter at rdprtweets. Or feel free to give us a call at the office on the same number we've had for 25 years on 0161 236 1122. In the meantime, don't forget to rate, review and follow We Built This City. Thank you.